This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. To Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, 14th chapter of Matthew. <clears throat> We're going to begin reading from verse 22. Uh, This is uh, right after the feeding of the 5,000. And if we had read John chapter 6, speaking of the same incident, we'd have found out that the people, after the feeding of the 5,000, they wanted to make him king. And of course, it wasn't time for any of that. And so Jesus very hurriedly told the disciples to get into the boat while he would go up the mountain to pray. And so verse 22, immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when the evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. Amen. Let's just stop there. As believers, we uh, sometimes find ourselves in a place where we just feel absolutely overwhelmed by the situation or the circumstances. And in such times, sometimes we question that we're even in the will of God. Sometimes in our mind, we think, well, if I was in the will of God, why would this happen to me? But evidently, you can see they were in the will of God. And sometimes we doubt his word. And we fear the future. And, and, and perhaps we feel not just helpless, but even hopeless. And that was the disciples' situation in Matthew 14. And immediately after feeding the 5,000, Jesus sent them on. But he would go up alone to the mountain to spend some private time in prayer with the Father. But suddenly, in the midst of the sea, they found themselves in the middle of the night, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm. That's not a good combination, sure it's not. Now when they set out, they had no fears, they had no worries, there was no feeling of any impending crisis, or feeling of doom or gloom. 
They were happy to obey Christ and to go as he told them to, unsuspecting that suddenly, in the midst of all of this, would come this great storm. And suddenly, right in this crisis, Job didn't see his storm coming either. Job, Job woke up one morning and within 24 hours he'd lost his whole family. He'd lost all his goods. Everything he owned was gone. His very wife said, curse God and die. I mean, within a space of a day, his whole world collapsed. Didn't see it coming. Sometimes we, we see the black clouds on the horizon. Sometimes we know there's a storm coming, but sometimes there's nothing we can do about it. We just have to stand in the midst of the storm. But sometimes, like these disciples, we don't see it coming. It's not something we're expecting, certainly not something we're wanting. But suddenly we're thrust into the midst of a storm. What do you do when that happens? What do you do in the times like these disciples when, when it's no fault of your own, when you had no idea it was ever coming, that suddenly, bang, there you are, and you're in the midst of a crisis. What do you do in those times? Well, first of all, you've got to remember that God knows exactly where you are. Exactly where you are. He can see you right where you are. The disciples couldn't see him because of the storm, because of the clouds, because of the middle of the night. It was dark. It was the fourth watch of the night between three and six in the morning. They couldn't see him, but he could see them. He could see them. God sees us even when we don't see him. When we think, where is God? He's right there. He can see us right in the midst of the storm. In Matthew 6, 48, it tells the same story. Matthew, or sorry, Mark 6, 48 tells the same story. Mark said, he saw them straining and rowing for the wind was contrary to them. Did he literally, physically see them or did he see them in the spirit? I, I think he saw them in the spirit. I, I think it wasn't his natural eyes because of the storm, but he saw them in the spirit. Suddenly he was quickened. Suddenly he knew the disciples were in trouble. And suddenly he could see them. Sometimes it's hard for us to see him, even in the spirit. But he always sees us. No matter how dark and how black and how difficult and how stormy the situation is, there's never a second where his eye is not upon us. We may temporarily lose sight of him, but he never, ever, ever loses sight of us. His eyes on the righteous, his ear is open unto their cry. In Daniel chapter 3, it tells us about this <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar, <coughs> king of Babylon, excuse me, this great despot, and how he had taken many captive from the land of Israel. 
And here was these three Hebrew boys, these young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which was their Hebrew names. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and its width six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather all the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image of Nebuchadnezzar had, that had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, and the flute, and the harp, and the lyre, and the psaltery, in, in, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." And so at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But therefore at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship the gold uh, worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due to regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do, not receive, you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready by the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symph a symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the image which I have made. Good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? And so here's these three young men who were captives but who had risen to a good height within that Babylonian kingdom and were doing well and God was prospering them. Everything they put their hand to, they were blessed. But suddenly this king makes a choice and a decision to construct this great massive gold image and for every single person to bow down and worship it as soon as the band struck up. And of course, when they made that golden image, it must have been in the minds of these three young men. At least this was something they, they, I'm assuming they believed and thought, you know, when that thing goes up, uh, they'll expect everybody to worship it, which was true, they did. And so they're in a situation, now they're in a storm, they're in a crisis, what are they going to do? Verse 16. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... Those three words are so important to us as believers. Yes, we're going to believe for deliverance. Yes, we're going to believe for this. Yes, we're going to believe for that. Yes, we're going to believe that God will do this. God will do that. God will do that. But if not, if he doesn't, that's what they're saying. Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. If God doesn't answer our prayer, we're still not going to worship your image. We're only going to worship God, even if he doesn't answer our prayer. Lots of believers today, if God doesn't answer their prayer, they backslide. But you need to be able to say, but if not, I am not changing my direction. I'm going through with God anyway. That was their heart. So in the midst of their crisis, their storm, they made up their minds, we're going through with God. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their outer garment, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to true king, Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And even if your translation says like one of the sons of the gods, what he saw astonished him. And he was amazed. Now, my point is this. Here these young men are hundreds of miles from their homeland. Here they are with no help whatsoever. There was nothing they could do. They were in this storm, this crisis in their life, and they had no physical help whatsoever. Nobody to come to their aid, but God saw them. God saw them. When nobody else cared, and it was only their enemies were looking at them, God saw them. And God sent his angel to come and stand with them in the midst of that fiery furnace. Look, he said, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. 
Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, and the administrators, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Glory to God. What a mighty miracle that was. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Glory to God. There is no other God who can deliver like this. Our God is a God of deliverance. Amen? But if not, but if not, we will not walk away from our God. We're going to trust him. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Way over there in Genesis chapter 16, Sarai and Abram were old. God had given them a promise that he'd give them a son, a son of promise. But they were getting older and older and older, and there was no sign on the horizon that they would ever have a son. And so you remember that Sarai, she decided that she would intervene. She would help God out. Verse 1 of chapter 16 of Genesis. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai came to Abram. See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. After Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abraham was now 85, coming 86, and Sarah was 75. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, which is Sarai, became despised in her eyes, which was wrong on her part. And Sarai said to Abraham, or Abram, my wrong be upon you. This is your fault. All this wrong be upon you. <laughs> Actually, it was her idea, wasn't it? My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and you. <laughs> so Abraham said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. <coughs> Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And so she took off into the wilderness, perhaps, maybe thinking, I'll escape and I'll go back to Egypt. But she only got as far as this spring on the way to Shur. So the angel said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said to her, 
I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, which means God hears. Those Arabs today are the descendants, we believe, from Ishmael. In fact, tonight we have one of Ishmael's descendants who's going to be speaking from this pulpit tonight, an Arab pastor from Nazareth. I hope that you're planning to come to hear him tonight. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, El Roi, you are the God who sees. For she said, have I also seen, has, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roi, which means the well of the one who lives and sees me. Here's this young Egyptian servant with little or no rights, kicked out in a sense of the house. She left of her own accord, but she felt she had to flee because she's been so harshly treated, which as a servant she shouldn't have been, but she was. And here she is in the middle of this wilderness with no one where they didn't even know where she was, where she probably didn't even know where she was, but God knew where she was. God saw her in the midst of her crisis, in the midst of her most difficult situation. God saw her and came to her and spoke to her and gave her a wonderful promise in the midst of it all. No wonder she called the name of the place El Ruhai, a place where God sees me. And so God does see us in all our situations. Even though we may not see him, he sees us. And so remember that he sees us. Remember also that in a storm that God often reveals himself to us in ways that he didn't before. In verse 25 and 27, he came unto them walking on the sea. He'd never done that before. He came in the most unexpected way. He came on the fourth watch of the night at the most unexpected time. They, did, they didn't expect Jesus at all. They didn't think Jesus saw them. But he did, and he came to them in the most unexpected way at the most unexpected time. He had never, ever done that before. But he did it this time because he needed to, because they were in danger, and he came right exactly to where they were. He came to them walking on the sea. Do you remember that first resurrection Sunday night? We talked about this at Easter and how the disciples were behind closed doors, locked doors for fear of the Jews. And suddenly Jesus appears right in the midst in the most unexpected way, at the most unexpected time. They had no idea he would appear, but suddenly he just appeared right in their midst. He had never done that before but he did it this time. And so sometimes the Lord can come to us in the most unexpected time. And the first thing he said to them was, peace be unto you. Peace. Calm down. I'm here. 
I knew where you were. I saw you behind that locked door, and here I am. And it's wonderful. And so the Lord may reveal himself to you in a way that perhaps he hasn't. It may be a dream. It may be a vision. It may be somebody he'll cause to cross your path. Something may happen that was totally unexpected, an unexpected time, an unexpected way. God can do whatever God wants to do. He can do anything he wants. And he came to them walking on the sea. What a shock that was to them. They thought it was a ghost. All those old fisherman's tales from the wee boys suddenly all came to their mind. They thought that was an old sailor, an old fisherman had died and been drowned and his ghost had risen up out of the water. But he said to them, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter looked to the Lord when he was quote unquote in faith Peter did something incredible didn't he he said Lord if it is you command me to come on the water to you if all the things Peter could have asked him what would you have asked him what would I have asked him I tell you what, I would have said, Lord, stop, stop the storm. Stop the waves. Get on this boat fast. We're sinking here. Come on. But Peter didn't. Peter says, Lord, if it really is you, bid me come. Command me to come. That took some faith to do that, didn't it? That took some courage. Now, I've been on the Sea of Galilee Gary and me had communion on a boat in the Sea of Galilee a couple of years ago, and it was like a mill pond, lovely and calm. But anybody who's ever been on any boat in the Galilee, I'm, I'm almost certain this is one of the things you think, could I put my leg out over that boat and walk on that water? I don't think so. I don't think so. But Peter did. What a strange, unusual question to ask. But suddenly, at that moment, faith rose up in his heart. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come, and I'll come. And the Lord says, come. And so Peter came down out of the boat, and he walked in the water to go to Jesus. The only human being other than Christ himself in the history of the world walked in water. The only one. Every before, nobody ever before, nobody ever since. The children of Israel walked through the Red Sea and dry land. They walked through the Jordan River and dry land. But they never walked over the Red Sea. They never walked over the Jordan. But Peter actually walked on water. What an incredible moment that must have been. You've got to give him some credit. Now I know we're going to come to the bit where he saw the wind, but you've got to give the man some credit for this because nobody ever did it before. But he did it. So Peter looked to the Lord when he was in faith, but Peter looked to the Lord when he was in fear. Verse 30, But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Have you ever had that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach? Did you ever get that phone call? Or you opened that letter? Or that knock came to your door? 
or in that doctor's surgery or in that hospital NE and suddenly you get that thinking feeling in your stomach. <sighs> and suddenly in that moment, your worst fears are realized. And Peter got that sinking feeling. I think every single one of us at some point in our lives has had that sinking feeling. The moment when you feel that you're going under, that the waves and the wind are too strong, that the storm is too much, that you've done your best, but your best wasn't good enough, and you're beginning to sink. You feel yourself going down. And that's exactly what was happening. While your eyes were on Jesus, your faith was holding up. And you were above the waters, and you had hope. But when we took our eyes of the Master... As soon as we did that, then that sinking feeling came. And our faith sank with it. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah had that fantastic victory in Mount Carmel where he challenged the prophets of Baal and God sent the fire from heaven and burnt up his sacrifice. And they slew 400 prophets of Baal with a sword. What a mighty victory. Surely the whole nation would worship God. Surely King Ahab and his queen Jezebel, surely they would fall on their knees and repent before a holy God and a mighty God. You would think that's what he thought, but they didn't. <laughs> And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, and he just he heard that, when he saw that, he could visualize that. He could visualize himself being hunted down and slaughtered. He could see it. When he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which is away at the bottom of the country, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. It's all been a big waste of time. Nothing's changed. Nobody's any different. Even though you sent fire down from heaven, even though they saw all of that, even though I've killed all these prophets, nothing's changed. I'm no better than my fathers. Take my life. I'm finished. I'm done. I'm over. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. 
and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. My margin says, a delicate whispering voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria, and also you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Elmehola you shall anoint as prophet in your stead. And it shall be whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 Israel, all those knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him after his greatest victory he sunk to his lowest point after God demonstrated his mighty power he sunk to his lowest point and here he was wanting to quit wanting to give up and to give in but God wasn't going to let him because God wasn't finished with him. God has still a work for him to do. And he told him, told, told him what he, exactly what he wanted to do. And Elijah went on and did that as God had said. But God saw him under that broom tree right where he was, right in the midst of his lowest point in the storm of his life. God came to where he was. Remember, you've got to keep looking to the Lord. John the Baptist, when he was in prison, sent a delegation to Jesus. Ask him this one question. Are you he that should come or do we look for another one? Are you the one? Because I'm not sure anymore. When he was in prison, when the crowds had gone, when he was on his own and he was there to be executed, he's thinking, maybe I've made a big mistake. Remember, like I said at the beginning, when you're in a crisis sometimes, maybe like John, you feel, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not in the will of God. Maybe I didn't hear the voice of God. Maybe this isn't the Messiah after all. Maybe all my ministry has been a big mistake. Look at me, I'm in prison. But Jesus sent word back. Tell John, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind receive the sight, dead are raised. And he goes on to say, there never was a prophet like John the Baptist. Even though he didn't do any miracle, there never was a prophet like John the Baptist. You see, Jesus knew exactly what he was feeling and what he was going through. And so, Peter looked to the Lord when he was in faith. He looked to the Lord when he was in fear. 
He looked to the Lord when he was in doubt. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. One of the shortest prayers you'll ever find in the Bible. Probably the shortest prayer Peter ever prayed. Because Peter always had a lot to say, didn't he? But that's all he had time to say. Because he was thinking, Lord, save me. Sometimes the shortest prayer can be the most effective at the right time. And this was the right time. Psalm 94, 18. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. <laughs> if you feel your foot slipping, say, Lord, save me. And the Lord will hold us up. He'll bear us up. Peter looked to the Lord when he was in doubt. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? <laughs> he has went from great faith to little faith in a very short space of time. And sometimes that's exactly like us. One moment we're believing, we're trusting, and our faith is high, and we're saying all the right things, we're believing right, and then suddenly we begin to sink and our faith sinks with us. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I don't think the Lord was seriously rebuking him here. I think he was, it's, it's a mild rebuke. I think the Lord must have really, really, really been pleased that Peter got out of that boat and walked towards him. I think the very angels in heaven were looking over the balcony of glory and saying, look, look, here's a human being and he's walking in water just like the master. But beginning to sink. Why did you doubt? It's easy to look to the Lord when we're in faith, but do we look to the Lord whenever we're in doubt and whenever we're afraid? Do we still look to the Lord? Peter did. And in the midst of that situation, when he was in doubt, when he was afraid, when he was sinking, he cried out unto the Lord. We're almost through. There's that well-known story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30. David, or David had been on the run from Saul who wanted to kill him. And he had gone to the land of the Philistines, the ancient enemy and the king of the Philistines was kindly disposed towards him and allowed him to, to live there. But then in time, the Philistines were going to fight against Israel. And David decided he would join with them against Israel, which was a terrible idea. But he would have done it. Only the lords of the Philistines, uh, they said no, because we know what will happen. You'll start out that way, but then you'll turn turtle and then you'll fight against us with the Israelites. So no, we, we don't trust you. We, we, you can't go. So the king, the Philistine said, I'm sorry, you can't come with us. You may go back home to where you've been staying, which was Ziglag. That happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire, had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great and did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. 
Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved every man for his sons and his daughters. David's closest associates, his mighty men, the ones who would have died for him, and I want to kill him. Things can change very quickly in life. really can. And so he's in a crisis. He's been hounded by his Saul, by the king of Israel. Now he's been raided by the Amalekites. Now his own men has turned against him. So what does David do? But David strengthened himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself, the King James says. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He had no one else to encourage him. Sometimes in life it's like that. It's great when people encourage you. It's great when folks say, I've been praying for you today. Or it's great when folk prays for you in the prayer meeting. Or it's great when somebody rings you up and says, how's it going today? I've been thinking about you. I'm praying for that situation. It's wonderful. But there's going to be times when nobody will be phoning you. And nobody will be praying for you. And nobody will be thinking about you. What are you going to do in those times? David encouraged himself in the Lord. And David said to Abiathar the priest, to Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Which is exactly what he did. And had a great victory. When he had no one else to comfort him, no one else to turn to. When every man around him was afraid and angry and weeping, David, in the midst of it, turned to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, help me. I don't know what his prayer was, but I can imagine it's, Lord, help me. Nobody else is going to help me. You help me, please. And the Lord did and gave him a wonderful victory. Finally, Remember, in the midst of all of this, you are going to make it to the other side. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, come to me and command me to come to you in the water. So he said, come. And Peter had come down of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, beginning to sink. He said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. In John 6, when it tells the same story, John adds this, and it says, and immediately the boat was at the other side. Immediately. Supernaturally. There's lots of immediates in that story. Immediately, there's four in actually. But immediately the boat was at the other side. They got to the other side. They thought they were going to die in the midst of the storm, but they got to the other side. And you're going to get to the other side of your storm. Every storm blows itself out sooner or later, by the way. But you're going to get to the other side of your storm, and the Lord's going to be with you. As soon as he got into the boat with them, the wind ceased, and immediately they were at the other side.
How did that happen? Who knows? The Lord who walked in water can cause a boat to go to the other side instantly. It's supernatural. It's just God, isn't it? And so where are you today? Are you in a storm? Do you have a storm? Maybe everything's hunky-dory with you today. Wonderful. Praise God if it is. But maybe you're struggling. Maybe there's a situation that you're saying, Lord, help me. The storm is raging. I don't know what I'm going to do. Help me. And he will. He sees exactly where you are. I always take great comfort in the fact that God knows everything that's going to happen to me before it happens. I may be shocked and surprised, but he isn't. And because he isn't, then he knows what to do, even though I don't know what to do. And so like David, I encourage myself in the Lord because I don't know what else to do. Sometimes you just don't know what else to do. So you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. But he's going to get you to the other side. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are with us in every situation of life. In the good times, in the bad times, in the up times, the down times, in the difficult seasons. Lord, whenever we can't see you or feel you, you see us and you're with us. And Lord, you come alongside and you get into our little boat. And then the wind ceases. And you take us to where we need to be in this life. So we give you thanks, Lord, that even though today we may not see you or feel you, but you are with us and you see us. And so we take great encouragement and comfort from that today. Even if there's no earthly helper, Lord, we look to you and that will be enough because you know exactly what to do. So we give you praise and honor and glory. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.